the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely, host of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX, and Ronnie Habor. Together, they're co-authors of an exciting new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Ronnie, I'm curious. We certainly see examples throughout the entirety of New Testament teaching, certainly in the book of Acts, as a snapshot of what God was doing in the first century church. Miracles were quite commonplace. We don't hear about miracles as often in the West anymore, but quite often we do hear from missionaries like yourself that come back with amazing miracles of how God is doing things very reminiscent of the first century church to this very day. Help us understand more about this difference between how God works in the West versus so often the rest of the world. See, today I think we we don't, people saying to me, you know, why does God do miracles there and not here anymore in the West? You know, and I said, well, he does, but we don't expect it anymore here. Nobody expects it anymore. Very few expect it here today. You know, uh, we pray and we hope that God hears our prayers and answers them. But really, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, if you look here in the West, I mean, there are some... The, the, um, the enemy is working very hard here as well, and but I believe there's, there still is a distinction between between where where um, uh, the West has been living or riding on the blessings of our forefathers, you know, and I think that you know the hand of God is and the blessings of the Lord are on our country, even though there's lots of places where there are people that need to be delivered as well, for sure here in this country as well in Australia and in Europe, but um, you can see the hand of God in this place in a much different way than there are in those sort of places. And those sort of places, they haven't had a a history of uh, Christianity. And so uh, the enemy's had uh, his control over the people there for all that time. And he's not going to just let anybody just barge in there and let, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, rescue people from from his grip. So he'll he'll throw whatever he can in order to be able to, to get rid of you over there. That's why you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know that that you have... Uh, God's authority and power, his authority and power over the enemy. And so otherwise you should not go to places like that. I've been in places there that when you, you walk into a region and just, just like Pastor Shirley said, you know, you just sense a blanket of evilness over you. We start, we tried to plant churches in certain areas for years and years and could never ever get a breakthrough there because this incredible presence of evil was just constantly there. I remember one day sleeping in this uh, hut and uh, uh, under a mosquito net and... Um, at night, I just woke up in a fright because somebody was choking me with a hand, a hand gripped on my, on my throat and choking me. And I woke up in a fright and I couldn't breathe. And uh, uh, there was nobody there, but there was this, like, this hand on my throat. And I yelled out, uh, uh, eventually, I tried to yell, I couldn't, but then eventually I yelled at Jesus. And as soon as I said Jesus, the grip let go. And I just knew, man, this is real stuff here. And, uh, uh, but eventually, after years in that place, in that one particular place where I was, uh, we tried to plant the church for years. It could never. God brought this young fellow to us, and uh, as a result of this young fellow getting saved, getting healed and saved in the power of God, 
and uh, he was able with me to go back to his village and speak to his tribe and uh, the whole tribe uh, virtually the whole tribe got saved as a result of him and if you go back there now there is this open heaven there like this blanket of evilness is completely gone and this this openness there and uh, uh, even his brother who was such a uh, um, figure in the occult there he's now the pastor of the church there such an incredible change as a result of God coming in there and uh, ministering there to the people and setting them free. Well, you don't just serve in the mission field. This is really a battlefield, isn't it? Oh, absolutely a battlefield, yes. And you but become, we're, we're, let's face it, I mean, the battlefield is everywhere. Everywhere, right? absolutely. Uh, not just there. But, and it, but it's a picture of the microcosm of the, of the depth of the battle, of what is at stake here, what Christ died for, and the fact that the enemy is not pleased with turning us over easily. Mm. Uh, that there is a cost that has to be counted that I think, unfortunately, few Western Christians are really willing to count, as you did, as you talked about, what do I have to potentially give up here in making this decision to move my family to the jungles of Borneo to to engage in this work down there, and yet having the perspective to understand that this is all about God's work and what he is doing so that that promise that his word would not go out and return to him void, but literally reach the uttermost parts of the earth, that someday every nation, tribe, and tongue would bow and recognize Jesus as yeah. Lord and Savior. Oh. You know, one of the thrilling things, Craig, is when you visit the uh, orphanage there, and you see these 500 children and worship. You can't help but weep to know that they came out of homes that were, uh, maybe their own father was a, a witch doctor. Mm-hmm. But to see they come to an environment where Christ's love is expressed and his word is taught and to see the joy of Jesus on their little faces, you just it's an amazing experience. And to, to see the work of God take place in the lives of these little ones. And not only, Pastor Shealy, transformative in the terms of the lives of these children, many of whom are orphans coming out of bad circumstances, as Pastor mentioned. But haven't you seen uh, Ronnie Gunn give you some tremendous grace and favor? throughout that region and dealing with the authorities and, and your neighbors and so forth. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like I always say, there's, there's a group of people that hate you no matter what, you know, whatever you do, but there's uh, definitely uh, a lot of people that respect you highly because of what you're doing, and they see now themselves. In the beginning, they were used to be a little bit suspicious, you know, why are you here? Are you coming must to get, be an agenda. Yeah, you, are you coming to rob us from our gold and our, our wood and stuff like that? But um, now that they see that so many kids are coming from that nobody wants and that we want them and, and that, you know, they come with a lot of baggage to our place and, uh, and then to see them set free and to enjoy life and to be, smile again and to, and to be able to play like a kid is allowed to, should play and uh, not be burdened with uh, uh, what they had to put up with. I just recently had in one of our services there, you know, um, I just felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, um, just ask the kids, you know, who, who, who I said to all the children, I said, who of you have a father or a mother who is or was a witch doctor in the tribe? And a number of kids put up their hands. I said, you know, why don't you come forward? I said, oh, we really want to pray for you. So just go and stand over there. And then I said, and who has a um, grandmother or grandfather who was a witch doctor or uh, are still witch doctors today? And so a lot of kids put up their hands. And I said, come over forward. And so we're going to pray for you. And then out of them, I said, which one of you... Uh, was to be the next witch doctor, uh, to be passed on from your father, grandfather, and to father, and to you. And a number of kids put up their hands, and I realized then, my goodness, you know, 
God has brought these kids from witch doctors to our place of all places so that they can be set free so that this curse can be broken over their lives so they no longer have to be part of this demonic ritual so that they can enjoy a life set free from all that and uh, that they can enjoy a life and be used by God God's got a wonderful plan and purpose for them one of the girls came up to me she said dad she goes I don't think Jesus can save me I said why do you say that she goes because I've already been promised to the spirit world by the witch doctor when I was little. She said, I was already uh, sacrificed, uh, in, in other words, to this uh, witch doctor. I said, oh, no. I said, no, 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 no. I said, Jesus brought you here for the very reason to set you free from this. I said, you are a child of the Most High God, and uh, God wants to set you free from this. So we prayed for her, and we uh, asked the Lord to break this curse over her life. And she just started to cry, and I, we just knew she was set free. She had a smile from ear to ear, and she just glorified God that she was now uh, a child, a new creation, and a child of God, and, and that she knew that God had a plan and a purpose for her life. Another young fellow came up to me and goes, Dad, he said, you know, my father is a witch doctor. And, uh, and he said, uh, when, uh, years ago in the village, he said, um, somebody walked into our village, a guy, and, the, and my father said, he's an enemy. And so he killed them in full view of everybody, killed them there, and uh, then uh, brought the man in the middle of the village, put him in a barrel of water, stuck a fire under it, and in full view of everybody, everybody had to come out and watch and view this. Even the two-year-olds, the four-year-olds, the 12-year-olds, everybody had to view this man being boiled there in the middle of the village. And then he said, now, once the man was boiled, he said, and now you eat some of his meat. And uh, so everybody had to participate. They call that... Uh, they believe it's a real demonic ritual. You, if you eat a bit of the meat of the, your enemy and drink some of their blood, that you then become supernaturally stronger than your enemy. They call that sakti. So here, everybody had to participate in eating some of this man. And then I thought, my goodness, you know, some of these kids, you would never, ever, ever would expect, you know, when you look at them, because they look so... Uh, so good on the outside and so handsome and so beautiful on the outside and so so um, angelic innocent you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and yet they've been through so many things and you think oh god you know i am so grateful that you called us to go to this place so many years ago to prepare a place here so these kids could be coming to this place so they can be set free from all this stuff you know i am just so excited and and that's why you know we often my wife and i often say you know, God didn't just bring us here. God brought the body of Christ here. You know, and that's why I'm so blessed that we that we met up with uh, Pastor Sheely and, and with uh, Pastor Tony. And uh, through that, you know, they came to our place and, and they've been this ministry that we have there as much theirs as it is ours and, and other people from around the world. And we're so blessed to get so many volunteers come from around the world to help us for a couple of weeks, a couple of months each year. And just so awesome to see that. But to see, you know... It's so rewarding to see all these young people, these kids, young people set free. And now they're on fire for God. They just love the Lord their God. And they go out to their own tribes now with this gospel message of salvation. And they share it with their uh, grandparents and with their parents or their uncles or aunts or cousins or whatever. We just had a couple of girls come back again. And they were the ones that uh, said they had wonderful opportunities to be able to share this with their grandparents, you know, who were just absolutely dumbfounded at this is God that they were talking about. And uh, years ago, I said to uh, church here the other day, I said a couple of years ago, we had the girls go home for um, uh, their um, school break, and uh, they still had a mother or a father. And uh, when they came back, 
um, uh, two weeks later, they brought the tribal chief with them. And from a distance, I could see them coming, and I thought, the tribal chief didn't look like a very happy man. And uh, he approached me, and I thought, oh, my goodness, he doesn't look happy. He walked right up to my face, and he said to me, what have you done with my girls? And I said, what? I, what, what are you talking Did something happen on the way to the village or something? You know, because I didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, no, he said, nothing happened on the way. He said, but I think this is something to do with your God. I said, ah, yes, because I told my girls, you're going home now, but make sure you don't go and fit into the rituals, go back into the rituals that they're doing. I said, but you stand firm on the word of God and that you ask God for opportunities to be able to share the gospel message. And, he, and then the tribal chief said to me, he said, you know, I, he said, uh, would you mind, please, he said, bring somebody back with me mm. to my village and share this, what, you've, what you told my girls, to share it with the rest of the people. He said, because I want all my people to be like them. I thought, whoa, that was just so awesome to hear that, you know, that our girls had the guts, the courage to witness to these people. And these people, they knew these girls, but they saw that there was such an incredible change in these girls now. They weren't the same anymore as when they left that village to go to to our place. They are now totally different. So That multi-generational fruit has the capacity to literally transform that entire region, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you're seeing a lot of and this too, aren't you? We've got kids now, some of our boys are now in government positions. Some of our boys are in companies now. And uh, some companies want uh, young people from our, our place because they know they're honest, they're loyal, hard workers, you know, and, and that you can trust in them. If you've just tuned in, our conversation today with Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely. Pastor Don, of course, a familiar voice here on KFAX. He's the speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Together, they're authors of this exciting new book, Miracle Zone, in the Jungles of Borneo. We'll take a brief time out, and when we come back, a look at the amazing way in which the Church of the West is integrating in a challenging and dynamic way with the Church in the East. That and much more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today experiencing the Miracle Zone in the jungles of Borneo. Welcome back to Lifeline. That, by the way, is coincidentally the title of a new book co-authored by my guest today, Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Of course, you know Pastor Don from his daily broadcast, Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Pastor Sheila, let me turn back to you. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults, and we sent over a uh, exploratory team a couple months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. Sirani has set aside 10 acres on his in his area and uh, they're presently digging the holes and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, f- a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years the children will be enjoying. But by sending our young people there it is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place 
as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. Yeah, it's amazing. I think, you know, I have three wonderful boys that God has given to us. And years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go uh, in the next couple of months, that we're going to see some life-changing experiences. And they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship, and they learn to love the Lord, read His Word, uh, live out His Word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And what we did as a church, we talked it over, it's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do was raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because what God will do in that experience. What's the, um, what's the long-term vision here? I know a lot of this type of work is day by day, but in terms of... The burden in your heart. You've now developed this campus, the orphanage, the school. We're seeing multi-generational fruit as a result of, as we mentioned before, more than 500 kids are being ministered to on this multi-acre facility, literally in the middle of the, the jungle there in Borneo. Um, as God continues to percolate a vision in your your mind's eye. Well, if we look at the uh the, the area there, it's very, um, there's still a huge remote area there that is untouched. And there are still lots of tribes that are completely without the gospel message and uh, where the world is, hasn't been yet. So um, our desire is eventually, you know, God, God said to us to sort of prepare a place for a thousand neglected kids and build schools for two thousand. Now we're halfway with having half of the kids there. So, um, but uh, so our concentration is on that and reaching that goal first. In the meantime, of course, lots of kids are coming to the Lord and lots of kids are, are going out as well. And um, But our aim is to duplicate the word even further into the jungle because we're reaching uh, a sort of uh, an area uh, there, but there are still um, many uh, areas there to, to reach with the gospel message. So, um, But it's if we, if we work from where we are now, that would take us a month or so to get where we need to get. And uh, that would be just all, uh, almost impossible. But we'd like to sort of set up another base there, deep in the jungle, and then release another whole group of people to be able to start there, another work to the to those tribes that are there. They're more, more primitive, they're more hostile. Uh, so, w- again, we need to send out people who know who they are in Christ. It sounds like you're training up an army. Yeah, so to go all, and do just that. All of our all of our young people, you see, we um, we send a lot of them off to Bible colleges throughout the country. We also send them off to universities because um, our schools need teachers. All our teachers that we have now are all our homegrown kids that have been with us for years and years, and we send them off to university then, and then they come back and they help us with the next generation of kids coming in. So all our teachers, we've got thirty six now teachers that are all our own. Uh, we also have um, another thirty four in universities now scattered throughout the country. So uh, one has just finished his doctorate, 
Uh, he, he's a medical um, practitioner now. Uh, he still has to do uh, pra- practical work in some of the Indonesian hospitals throughout the country until December, and then he'll be our own residential doctor in our clinic. And so that's where it starts all that. that a lot of these kids are coming back now, and uh, uh, they never believed that they could do this, you see. From the start that we arrived there 20 years ago, we always heard, even from the local people there, that they're too primitive, too stupid, too uneducated, too they can't achieve anything. They've been told that by all the other groups of around the country. And we always said, no, 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 you know, God has created us all equally. You know, we're all created in the image of God. So so if, if you have the opportunity to be able to be educated, then... You know, you can just you can be the teacher as well and the doctor and whatever. So we've proven that now with them, and they know that now themselves. They see that now, so they're they're ministering to their the next generation coming through. And uh, it's a it's a very strange world. I mean, we have we have children there uh, of young people there who are 15, 16, have never been to school in their lives before when they come to our place. So we have to teach them how to read and write, and teach them how to go through primary school before they can go to secondary school, and all those sort of things. So it's a it's a a very different sort of ministry than you would have, uh, say, in a Christian school here in the West. I would suspect some of our listeners might be curious, uh, Ronnie, as we began our conversation this afternoon talking about the sacrifices that your family made in the very get-go. One or two listeners might be thinking, well, I bet as soon as these kids got old enough, doing any work on the mission field was the farthest thing from their mind. Tell us a bit about where your family is at today. Uh, well, our family, my, my two old kids from my first wife, they're both in Australia at the moment, and they're married, and so they're they're uh, they love the Lord, but they're not in ministry. They're not uh, they've got their own jobs and stuff like that. So um, then I've got two kids of my second wife, right? And uh, sh- uh, the oldest, Nathaniel, he's just been through Bible College in Australia. He went to finish off his two years high school there, and then he uh, went to Bible College. He's getting married next month. With a wonderful young girl. Now uh, he's twenty one and she's twenty one, so. Um, a great, great young couple, uh, so passionate for God, on fire for the Lord. They're very involved with youth, um, with uh, young people, and uh, with the church there. Uh, I asked him you know, recently. I said, "You ever think you'll come back to Borneo and you know carry on the work here?" And he goes, "Dad, if God wants it that way, he said it'll happen." You know, so he's, they're coming over for Christmas time and with his bride, and uh, so uh, they're going to really enjoy because he, he's. He, he was one years old when we went over there, so... This is all he's known. Yeah, and so he misses he misses uh, everybody there, but then when he's at our place in Borneo, then he misses everybody back here in Australia, so they live a little bit in two worlds. A younger son, Joel, he, he just left to go to Australia. Uh, why that is? Because he wasn't really coping very well with homeschooling, uh, and uh, we, I just, my wife and I sort of were really struggling with him. He was missing out on a lot of things. He wasn't coping really that well, and uh, so we said to each other, you know, here we are giving education to 500 children, the best education that we can give them. They say we're neglecting our own. Mm. So I said, um, you know, we need to, this is not right. We need to do something about this. So we decided then as a family that he should go back to Australia and do his last years of uh, high school there, and then we'll see what happens there. But it meant that Kay would have to go with him. So Kay's now at the moment with him there in Australia. So that is a three-year commitment. And uh, so I'm in Borneo, she's in uh, Australia. And uh, again, you know, we were talk- just talking about, are you prepared to give up uh, your family? Well, I see this a little bit as I've, I'm giving up my family, you know. I mean, I, I would, I'm missing them like crazy and uh, we miss each other like crazy. But we just, we, we are goal setters. And we know that we've given our lives to the Lord and whatever, at whatever cost. Now, this is a cost that we pay, I know. 
but it's it's a goal that we've set. Three years, it's going to be finished in no time. And then uh, either a job will go on to university or to higher education and Kay will come back to Borneo or whatever. Um, but we just see this as yeah, just one of those things. And God is there with us. So she comes twice a year to Borneo in the school holidays and I'll go over there in between when I'm on my travels to wherever and I might just pop in for a week or so. So uh, next month I'm going to see them again. I haven't seen them for four months now, so it'd be great to be with them and be at the wedding. So. Yeah, it's great. Well, congratulations on uh, the, the new addition to the family and the new book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. And as we mentioned at the get-go, um, you can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle yeah. there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can. And they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, so that's like right. In, in fact, yeah. just like the team coming from Church of the Highlands. And, uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, Check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners... Pastor Sheely have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future are they open to folks coming and getting more information about? Yes, we open going? up. We open up the trips, and uh, we'll probably have two trips next year. And uh, but the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we can send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in a city. Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do, they can use their their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills and and but they don't to, to send over a church family to help is is really not uh, the, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church we're going to be taking another tour. Come and join us, and uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can, how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel, and with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay, and we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters, and uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going yeah. to be staying there in the Highlands house. Yeah. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Yeah. Um, on the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650 
1-800-273-4095. Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, new book written and co-authored by Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Ronnie, great to see you again. Appreciate the visit. Yeah, Pastor Don Sheely, always wonderful to have you drop God by. God bless you, Greg. Well, thanks to all of you who joined us in our campaign, partnering with Cross International to rescue needy and hungry children on the continent of Africa. When we ended yesterday, we were able to rescue 218 of the 240 kids we committed to, just 22 left to go. So if you haven't called yet to give your gift, remember, a one-time gift of $62 provides a child with food, water, Christian education, and the Bible and other life-saving resources and medicines for an entire year. Just call 866 866- 927-6464 that's 866-927-6464 and give whatever size gift the Lord puts on your heart. We're only about $1,300 away from our full goal of rescuing the final 22 kids so call right now and join us would you? You can also give that gift safely and securely online just simply look for the Cross International banner at the top of our homepage at kfax.com And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. For those who have loved ones currently in the hospital, who have perhaps lost a loved one, it raises many of the why God questions. Why does God allow things to happen like this? And when we're in these kinds of times, whether we're talking about the tragedy of what unfolded yesterday in Boston, to the loss of a child, to maybe just the day-to-day challenges that we face in life, oftentimes we we feel as if we're kind of groping about, and we're, we're wondering in the middle of the darkness of our experience, how do we find God? Coincidentally, a new title of a book called called Finding God in the Dark, and it's co-written by my next guest, Ted Gluck. Ted, of course, has been on the program previously. We talked to him uh, some months ago regarding his best-selling book, Dallas and the Spitfire. Back again to join us today, and Ted, it's always great to have you on the show. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for having me. really appreciate it. Boy, the timing of our conversation today in the wake of the tragedy of Boston yesterday, again, it just touches on so many levels emotionally and, and spiritually. Kind of give me your overall sense, um, particularly in the spirit in which uh, you wrote this book along with Ronnie Martin. Um, we're in these moments, be it the tragedy of yesterday to simply maybe losing a job, losing a loved one. We grapple with the sense of where God, why God? Yeah, we really do. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. These are these are existential questions. You know, these are questions that that strike to the core of our existence, and um, they really strike to the core of how it is that we think about God. And um, you know, as as I prepared for the show tonight, I, I knew you were going to ask me about this, and I was I was talking it over and, and praying about it with my wife, and I was reminded of the verse in First Thessalonians that says, you know, as Christians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope, and you know, but we still grieve, you know, and, and whether you're intimately involved in a situation like this or, or whether you're just kind of observing it from the outside, I mean, you're grieved. And I'm reminded of the, the doctrine of total human depravity, you know, the idea that that we're all sinners in this world with sick hearts and that there's no hope for us and there's there's nothing good apart from Christ. And I think, you know, what what you take from this event, I mean, you watch the media and you hear things like, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And, you know, there's all kinds of kind of governmental slash military finagling going on. And, and on one hand, you, you root for that and you're, you're hopeful that something will be done. But, you know, as Christians, we know that um, apart from the cross and apart from Christ, you know, there's really there's not a good answer. You know, there's not a great hopeful thing that, that Obama or anyone else can say to people to really make them feel better. So, 
you know, I think for us, maybe the takeaway is an opportunity to, to, to recognize the sin in our own hearts. And, you know, much of my book deals with that, you know, this idea that, you know, it wasn't until I really humbled myself and threw myself at the foot of the cross that I had any joy and any peace in this life. And I think we were reminded that we don't find our joy and peace in circumstances or situations. You know, it, it isn't God's job to, to make everything perfect for us. Um, uh, but he does find us. He does seek us out. And he does give us the opportunity to, to humble ourselves and, and find joy and peace in him. You know, what you say, I know, even with my listeners eavesdropping on this conversation right now, we, we, we resonate with what you say. We, we certainly readily give a mental assent to your observations. And yet, oftentimes, isn't there that disconnect that we experience, meaning that we understand, for example, if we want to just kind of uh, coldly in a very calculated manner dissect what transpired yesterday, it is, you know, man's depravity, it is separation of God, from God by, by sin, it is our inclination to do wrong and evil and the influence of the enemy in our lives. We understand all of that, and we can certainly, in many ways, kind of pigeonhole or categorize the pain of yesterday into those categories we give complete total mental assent to those realities and yet there's this disconnect where emotionally though we're still saying but wait a minute god i mean aren't you supposed to come in and kind of you know save the day Uh, we look at this and say well you know of all the people that died yesterday uh, three all told why did one of them have to be an eight-year-old boy and suddenly now we're kind of emotionally uh, and spiritually wrestling with god over these things yeah, we are, you know, and I, I I fully agree. And I think, you know, for those of us who, who grew up Christian or grew up in evangelical homes like I did, I mean, I think I, I spent a lot of years just intellectually assenting to things and not really feeling or experiencing them. And there's this, this strange tension in the church where, you know, you're, you're clinging to truth and you have biblical truth, but yet you, you still want to experience things. You want to feel comforted. And, you know, for me... Uh, I think the Bible is full of, uh, of examples of people who, you know, cling to, cling to Christ and cling to, cling to God in the midst of really horrible things that are happening to them. And on one level, you, you, you don't really maybe find comfort in their stories, but I, I find comfort in the idea that there's a model for how we can cling to the Lord in those times, how we can cry out to the Lord, how, you know, King David, who, you know, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, but, but was also this horrible sinner. You know, he was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and he has the audacity and the, and the courage, really, to ask God for a clean heart. And then he asked God to restore his joy. And this is, you know, when people are pursuing him and, and chasing after him to take his life, you know, he even, he even clings to, to the Lord for joy in that. And, you know, as to how that comforts you know, someone who's who's grappling with the reality of yesterday, I don't know, but I'm but I'm glad it's there and I'm glad, you know, the Bible gives us a, a model for how we're to do that. And I've I've found, I mean, my experience has been um that there's really been no earthly comfort outside of that. And, you know, sometimes we can't explain these things away. We can't um you know, God doesn't let us know immediately why it's happening. Um but but that feeling of joy and peace even in the midst of uh, of life's terrible storms. I mean, that's something that uh, experientially we can 
we can look to the Lord and just say thank you. There's one thing, though, that tends to kind of complicate this. And after a brief time out, I want to kind of dig deeper. We, we spoke of the, the, the mental ascent to what we understand to be true from God's perspective, from God's word. Then there's kind of the emotional struggles that we go uh, go into where we, we understand intellectually what's going on. And yet emotionally, it's still there's that sense of disillusionment and fear and doubt and unbelief. The third aspect that kind of complicates this scenario is the big cover-up. And we'll talk about that when we come back after a brief time out. Best-selling author Ted Kluck is with us today. A look at finding God in the dark. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We continue our visit with best-selling author Ted Kluck. He, along with co-author Ronnie Martin, have written a new book called Finding God in the Dark. Now, we talked a bit about that sense of giving mental assent to what we know are the realities of what's going on in these kind of circumstances, Ted, and yet oftentimes uh, being just overwhelmed by emotional senses of, of doubt and fear and disillusionment. But then there's kind of the other third item that I think tends to complicate this, and you talk about it in the book. It's something that we evangelicals in particular seem to be very adept at, and that is um, kind of faking our way through pain. But, you know, painting on the smile and, and getting past the greeter at the door at church on Sunday or, you know, uh, giving the obligatory, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? When, in fact, we're really not. And I'm wondering if sometimes that sets up a barrier that really blocks us from the ability to deal with how we're feeling and kind of find the sort of uh, peace and relief that we seek. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. And I think, you know, I wrote about it in the book. I was absolutely guilty of that for so many years. You know, the issues were different for me in that, you know, our our hard times, our dark places, if you will, were infertility, um, a failed adoption, um, some vocation-related failures that I was experiencing. And instead of, you know, being humbled and clinging to the cross and those things, for a lot of years, I just got more bitter, you know, more bitter, more cynical. Um, but week after week, day after day, you know, Sunday after Sunday, I would go into church and, and, you know, I was, I was everybody's buddy and, and the back slapping lobby guy with a smile for everybody. But inside I was really dying, you know, and I was really struggling with, you know, how do I love a God who, uh, would put me through this quite frankly was, was my thought process. And, um, it was really tough, you know, and, and thankfully the, the same institution that was hard for me in that, the church. Um, it was tough to go to church, and it was tough to see everybody else, I thought, prospering, you know, while I was kind of circling the drain, I thought. But um, it was that same institution that ended up being, you know, such a help and such a comfort for me as the Holy Spirit uh, pursued me out of that. I guess the irony is that a lot of us are often going through this, whether it's the way in which a whole community suffers, such as in the wake of the Boston bombing, or individual families. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. As you point out in your case, it was an adoption that right on the cusp of, of everything coming together, um, your uh, your little Ukrainian daughter, who who was literally the, the, the sister of, of one of your adopted boys, uh, the, mm-hmm. another couple stepped in and the law did what it did uh, thousands of miles away and that whole adoption process fell apart that created a great deal of pain 
in your life, and I guess maybe the issue oftentimes here is when we're going through pain or fear or doubt or disillusionment, uh, we want to keep up a happy face. You know, nobody typically posts on Facebook what a terrible day that they're having or what an awful meal that they had. They will all tend to kind of want to be uh, happy and, and, and sort of, you know, put on the dog, so to speak. And yet behind that mask oftentimes lurks an awful lot of pain. Yeah, that's so right, man. I, I think oftentimes we're our own best press agents. And, you know, from being in Christian media and Christian entertainment, as I am, you know, there there is this often kind of creepy, you know, motivation to self-promote. And um, I find I found myself doing a ton of that, you know, uh, again, on Facebook, my Facebook persona was, you know, I was this happy, successful guy with a great family and, um, you know, all kinds of success and all kinds of exciting things happening. But you know, for anybody who knew me then or, or anybody who was close to me then, you know, the opposite was really true. And um, it wasn't until, you know, I heard some convicting preaching. Um, it wasn't until I, you know, I went to some friends of mine in the church, uh, a pastor and an elder, and just said, look, I'm I'm struggling here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really dying here. I'm really bitter. And uh, I need your help. You know, um, thank God, you know, for me that the Holy Spirit pursued me in that way and, uh, and, and kind of led me to do that. Because I think even though the circumstances really haven't changed, you know, this book isn't one of those stories where, you know, we pray a couple of times and then we get rich and have a bunch of kids and everything starts going right for us. You know, the, the circumstances are the same, essentially. Um, but, but Christ has given me a lot of joy and a lot of peace in the midst of that. So I'm thankful. What's the big takeaway? Um, as both you and Ronnie have shared a lot of personal pain in this book, what are you hoping to be the big takeaway for readers and for our listeners tonight? Yeah, you know what? I think a couple of things. Number one, we can feel so alone in our churches um, when we do struggle and when we are in dark places. And uh, Ronnie and I hope that this book would kind of be the, the friend that we don't have in churches, you know, the the person who's willing to be honest about their own struggles and their own sins and their own you know, dark places. So hopefully it'll be a comfort to people on that level. But um, I think the other takeaway really is just a, a simple presentation of the gospel. You know, that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we acknowledge our sinful hearts and our brokenness, that he'll lift us up, you know, and he'll, um, he'll redeem us and he'll give us peace and he'll give us, you know, the, the clean hearts and the, and the joy of our salvation that David talks about in Psalm 51. And, you know, I think in, in different ways and in different struggles, um, Ronnie and I have both uh, experienced that, and we wanted to, you know, to write the book as a really an outpouring of thanks to uh, to a Lord who would who would do that for us. You know, a couple of really sinful, screwed up guys. We have a lot of observers right now who they themselves are asking questions, who do not currently have a relationship with the Lord, and I know it's easy sometimes to come up with pat answers. But from a sincere standpoint, as as maybe people out there who are not believers are seeking answers and and asking the why God questions as well, what what do you tell these people in, in terms of how they can find God in the dark? I think keep asking and keep seeking, and um, you know the the Holy Spirit will find you. You know, I, I think you know we serve a Lord who who finds us and who pursues us and who loves us enough to you know to to. to come after us at times and you know i think if, if people are asking questions that's a great sign you know i don't think you i don't think you get anywhere in this life without asking the hard questions and you know again you know there's this there's this weird tension in the church where you're just so sometimes you feel like you're supposed to smile and show up and um everything will be great for you but 
you know, it really wasn't until Ronnie and I started started asking those hard questions that um, that we got any peace. And um, so I would say keep asking. I would say, you know, search for truth. I mean, I think we're we live in a culture where um, it's very cool and it's very sexy to to be journeying and never arrive anywhere. Um, it's cool to be a seeker, but not a, a, a pursuer of truth. But I would say, you know, seek hard after truth in Scripture and uh, and see how the Lord reveals Himself to you. A look at finding God in the dark. Ted Cluck, along with Ronnie Martin, the authors of this new book. And the book, by the way, is re- recently published by, i got to get my cheaters on here, boy. Reaching that age, are you, Roberts? A Bethany House Publishers, and you can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also get it through Ted's website at tedcluck, K-L-U-C-K, dot com. And our thanks again to Ted Cluck for visiting with us in this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.